And now that we have uh, some of the men of the presbytery here, I've asked them to give a, a short ministerial report about uh, where the Lord has placed them and, and the Lord's work in those places. So we have, first of all, the moderator, Mr. Uh, Reverend Bannister, and then Reverend Dr. Saunders and Reverend Dr. Pollock. And Mr. Pollock will give the Lord's word as well uh, thereafter. So I'll just hand over to Reverend Bannister. It's a privilege for me to be here this evening. Oh, do I need to clip that on? All right. I started to say it is a privilege for me to be here this evening, and I am here uh, in a twofold capacity, you may say. Uh, I'm happy to give a report about Indianapolis, but I'm also here as the moderator of our denomination. And on behalf of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, our ministers and our elders who are able to be here, I want to take the opportunity to thank the church in Calgary for hosting this week of prayer. We certainly have been well taken care of, and we thank you for that. It's good to meet a number of you, to renew fellowship with others, and we thank the Lord for you. We do keep you in our prayers. We're mindful of difficult trials that you faced along the way. Uh, I remember... Um, being in Ulster, actually, when your current minister was at the Presbytery meeting accepting the call to come to Calgary. And he got here about the same time that aid, or not, not aid, COVID, <laughs> that COVID arrived. And I know that that uh, posed a lot of unique challenges. But, uh, but the Lord is good, and you've come through, and we are looking forward to good reports uh, about this church in the coming days. With regard to Indianapolis, I bring you greetings from my church. I am the pastor there. Uh, I have been the pastor there for upwards of 20 years. I have um, a very uh, readily identifiable historical marker of sorts by which I can gauge how long I've been the minister in Indianapolis. I was ordained a month before 9-11 took place. So I've been there during that time. And uh, there have been ups and downs along the way. Uh, there's been trials and there's been blessings. Most recently, we were blessed even this past Sunday to welcome a young man into membership, a young adult he is now. Uh, I've literally watched him grow up in our church a uh, member of the Nyman family, uh, a real soft-spoken, uh, bashful fella who um, at long last came forward and said he wanted to profess his faith in Christ and come into communicant membership. And our hearts have been thrilled by that. We're hoping that a number of others will follow suit. He has siblings that are of age that ought to be doing the same thing. So uh, hopefully they will uh, in the not-too-distant uh, future. But uh, if you get a chance to come and visit us in Indianapolis, we'd be thrilled to have you. My 
Uh, my appeal, okay, my luring leverage is this. We are 90 miles from the Creation Museum. So if you ever have occasion to visit the Creation Museum, uh, come our way, or come our way, and we'll take you to see the Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter. Uh, we're not terribly far away from either one. So would love to have you. Appreciate your prayers for us in the coming days. Uh, the need uh, there is great as it is in so many of our churches. We are longing to see souls come in under the sound of the gospel. We want to see souls saved. We, we thank the Lord that shortly before COVID hit, uh, we were able in God's providence to have the equipment in place that enabled us to webcast our services. We had the desire to do that for the longest time, never had the means to see it through until we received uh, a wonderful, generous gift, and very timely that we had that in place uh, for that time. And thankfully, we've come through that, uh, uh, not being damaged too much, uh, but we need to see the Lord move. Uh, there are souls even within our small group that have not yet professed faith in Christ, and we need to see many others come as well. So thank you for your prayers. Oh. Come on, take that with me, do I? It's a joy to be with you folks again tonight in Calgary. It's our delight and privilege to be here, and I'm very thankful that you're hosting this uh, week of prayer for us. And just on a personal note, I want to thank you for your hospitality, and uh, the food has been great so far, and uh, we're looking forward to what's yet to come. There might even be more, so it's always a, a welcome thing. You can draw ministers into any congregation if you just hang a tag up and says, there'll be food provided, and uh, we will come. And it's a delight and a joy to be with you here. I bring you uh, greetings from uh, Toronto Free Presbyterian Church. I've been the pastor there, the senior pastor, since 2008. And bring you warm greetings from Dr. Frank McClellan and his wife May. He is Pastor Emeritus, and I know the folks in Calgary from many years back would have known him as he has been here uh, many times over the years. Very happy to have uh, Brother George Robinson, who is uh, one of our elders in Toronto, and he is also serving as an elder for you here in Calgary, and also Mr. Jonathan McAnally, who's an elder as well, and uh, takes care of so many things in our church in Toronto and the webcasting and uh, Zoom meetings. And although Zoom has now become a bit of a bad word in people's minds, they're about Zoomed out and uh, they're done with those types of meetings for the most part in churches. But I know it's been a necessary evil and we've yet been very greatly blessed by the use of those things. So in the church and the work of God, so many people raised up of the Lord to do things, and we have been very, very blessed in our work in Toronto uh, from its inception. The Lord has brought along the right people at the right time to do the right job, and God has been encouraging and blessing us over these years. I think the plea of every pastor would be we long to see 
souls converted on a regular basis, long to see young people coming and putting their trust in the Savior and determining we're going on with God no matter what. And we have seen evidences of those things and been encouraged. And it was a strange thing, you know, through COVID, where you would not expect to see people come into membership. Well, I've heard a number of our brethren say, the Lord brought people during that time, and they wanted to be a part of the fellowship and throw their commitment behind us in an official basis. And so that was certainly a blessing for us. We saw some folks come along and join us. But we want to put those times and some of those issues behind us and move on now to see how God will yet open up new doors of opportunity for us. When God called me into the ministry, it was through Ephesians 3, verse 8. And it was unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And of course, the Apostle Paul, that was his testimony. Well, when the Lord called me with that, I had no idea really that I would be ministering in Toronto and certainly no idea of how that would come to pass in the complex of our congregation now. Toronto is a very multicultural city and the neighborhood of Malvern where we are located has every nationality on earth living there. And we have been so blessed by seeing so many of these folks uh, coming in and uh, wanting to be under the gospel, joining with us, putting their hand and their shoulder to the plow and pressing forward. And so it, it is a great blessing. Thank you for your prayers as you have been remembering our church, as we remember you folks here in Calgary. And I pray that the Lord would really uh, bless us and bless you, bless our whole denomination. We often pray that the fear of God would descend upon our communities and that he would give to us God-fearing leaders in high places. Well, in Canada, we need that. And let us pray in our provinces, in our cities, and certainly in the nation itself, that God would send us a gracious awakening and a reviving. We need that very much. And so thank you for your intercession and prayer. The largest ministry that we have in Toronto is our Christian school. It's called Whitfield, named after George Whitfield. Started in 1989, just 16 pupils. Well, the enrollment this year is just over 260. Goes from JK to grade 12, and it is a, a blessing from the Lord. He has put this responsibility upon us and given us this mandate to teach children of Christian parents. And God has gone in front of us and opened up doors and brought in finances in a way that we never would have known. And it just, it has come. We have reacted to how God has moved. And that is not a bad way to be in the Lord's work. You know, sometimes you think about planning a five-year, ten-year model or plan, but we have, in our history, reacted to how the Lord has shown us how we are to go. And he brought funds in when we didn't know where they were coming from. And he, stepping out in faith of a project, something he's called us to do, Lord, where are we going to get the money for this? And he has provided and provided and provided again. So please remember, as God brings it to your heart, 
to remember our school, that the Lord would raise a generation of young people who would come to faith in Christ, because, of course, coming from a Christian home doesn't mean the children are believers. So our desire is to see them saved by the grace of God, but determined to go through with the Lord. And we know what's going on in the public education system in our nation today, and all of the foolishness and all of the stands and issues that are made against the Word of God. And some people are really coming to grips with the fact that they cannot send their children to public school anymore. They must find that alternative. And so the Lord has provided the haven that we have. And if we can provide that education with a biblical framework and use that as an occasion to see young people growing up and determining to serve the Lord, then that's why we are doing what we're doing. And so thank you for your prayers for us there as well. I just close off briefly, too, sharing with you about the Cloverdale Free Presbyterian Church. As you know, um, Mr. Gallagher, Reverend Gallagher, retired about a year and a half ago, and uh, the presbytery set me as the interim moderator. And I have had the joy of working with the brethren and the congregation there. Very happy that both elders from Cloverdale are here and also both deacons. So this is a very special weekend for them as well and a week. And I would ask you to pray as they are that God would raise up a man to be an under-shepherd in that place. That's the need of several of our churches, isn't it? We've been praying for Fredericton. We pray for Phoenix and for Orlando. And please do not forget to pray for Cloverdale. The Lord would encourage the congregation. It's tough going when there's no pastor. It's hard. And those who are committed to the work, well, they remain committed. But there are some that are on the periphery that they come, and maybe they'll not be so attached if there's no minister. And it's not easy. So do pray for that congregation. The Lord will consolidate them, make them strong, and just bless them in their service for Christ in that area. And God will indeed bless us by raising up young men in our seminary and young men to fill all the pulpits that we have. So thank you again for the opportunity of sharing tonight. And may the Lord continue to bless you in the congregation here. Good evening, folks. It's a tremendous joy uh, to be here in Calgary, my first time across this far west in Canada, and I trust that we'll have a blessed time uh, this evening. Uh, I'm the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church in Malvern, Pennsylvania, not Malvern, Toronto, uh, but Malvern, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have the same road number in the same area uh, as the two churches, but that's coincidental. Uh, but it is a joy to, uh, to be here. First time in Calgary. I echo again the words of my brethren in thankfulness for the hospitality we've received. Thank you so much uh, for your kindness uh, to us here. I came across to Pennsylvania 2017, five and a half years ago. Um, we're certainly very thankful for the Lord's mercies in the work. Malvern's less than an hour's drive west of Philadelphia, uh, so southwest Pennsylvania. To the, the, to the east of the church, of course, then, is, is Philadelphia. 
again, a city with many, many problems of various nature. This was historically a strong sort of Roman Catholic presence in the city, uh, but now just marked by secularism in so many ways and a very uh, challenging area. Uh, to the west of the church is Lancaster County, uh, well known for the farm scenery, the Amish population there, uh, one of the biggest Amish populations in North America. And so rather than going to Indianapolis to see the Ark come to Malvern and see Lancaster County and historic Philadelphia, uh, although perhaps you're less interested in the declaration signing and all the rest that took place, 1776 and all of that. But if you want to come, you can come and we'll gladly show you around some of those, uh, those wonderful sites it is a challenging area. Malvern itself is marked by a lot of industry, well, technology, uh, science areas, and it's a very affluent area. House prices are astronomical, and a lot of people there, they are those who have no time for the gospel. And so we're mixed with all sort of religions alongside affluence, and of course we know it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. As we pray for the work, uh, like so many of our works, we have people who travel a long distance to come to church. Uh, most of our families do not live within 40 minutes of the church. Some do. Most of us travel uh, to church some distance. And so that gives um, unique challenges and problems. And so do pray for us in that, in that regard. I think I wouldn't be honest if I stood here and say that we are really enjoying times of height and blessing at this time in terms of growth. Things have been very difficult over the last couple of years. And I think if we're trying to pray for each other tonight, as I'm going to encourage you to do, I think it's important that we're honest regarding the challenges. I'm going to date it from COVID, not because it's due to COVID, but that's the time scale. So from March 2020 to now, we have about 60 people who used to attend regularly in the Lord's Day who are no longer attending. Some of that for various reasons. It's children, some students moved away, some seniors who were uh, coming to the point of almost being shut in and not able to travel. And so there are some who, for very good reasons, are no longer in the work, but others left for various reasons. And uh, we look at some of those situations, and people they have, they have backslidden and they've fallen away from the Lord. And so you think of the impact of that uh, in a congregation that's a very sizable number of people, and we miss them. Uh, we feel their absence very, very keenly. God has brought others in. We thank the Lord for that. We still have 60 or 70 gathering on Lord's Day morning. We praise God for that. Uh, but it has been a time of attrition. We have not had a split. There's been no uh, division. They have not left for one reason. It's been just little by little, one person after another. And yet when you stop and you stop and think and you add up the numbers, you go, I, how, how did that happen? How did so many... And I say that not to discourage you, but I suppose in some sense to encourage you that every church will go through times of trial and challenge, and our duty is to be faithful in those times, but also if we are to be Presbyterians, it is our duty to pray for each other and to call upon the Lord for our various, our various churches. And it's really that theme that I want to leave with you tonight as you come around the Word. And so please turn tonight to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. Just you're turning there, can I also just emphasize prayers as Brother Saunders did for Cloverdale? Can I also encourage you to pray for the work in Orlando? Uh, I've been overseeing the work there for the last four years. I uh, do pray that God will bring, again, a man of his choosing to labor in the work there, a dear band of people. 
They love the Lord. They want to go forward with the Lord. Uh, they've had times when they, they thought the Lord was bringing someone to their midst. And on two occasions, there have been disappointments in that regard. And so it's been a roller coaster. Times of great joy and then times of disappointment. But the people have been phenomenally faithful. When they thought the work was going forward, the new chapter, and then it, disappointment comes, you think, oh, they're, they're, they're going to give up. But no, they are tremendously faithful in seeking God. And so please do continue to pray for the work there. And that God would very soon uh, put me out of a job and bring a man of his choosing to labor as the shepherd of the flock there. So Philippians chapter 1, I want to read from verse number 3. Uh, verse number 3, just down to verse number 5. I have no real text tonight. Uh, what I'm going to say is drawn from a, really a survey of the New Testament letters. That will be clear as we go forward. Uh, but really as a springboard, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And with God's Word in our minds, let's just ask the Lord briefly for His help as we come now to consider uh, the Scriptures of truth. Eternal God and Father, humbly we come into Thy presence. We thank You, O Lord, for Your mercies that find us here in this place tonight. We thank You for Your blessings in the work of God here over the years, for establishing a witness, uh, for even recent times bringing the Backhurst family here. We praise you uh, for that provision. And we look to thee, O Lord, for its development and its future. And we ask, O God, that you would pour out your Spirit upon the work and witness here. And so give us help tonight. And I thank you for a time around the Word. And we ask, O God, that in your mercy, everything that is conducted here will be to your glory and to the edification of your people. So bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we might ask the question, why did Jesus Christ die? What was the purpose and the aim? What was the intent of his atoning sacrifice? Uh, of course, there are some very obvious answers to that, but there are several answers. There's a, a answers that go beyond the obvious of saving sinners. Of course, we see something of the purpose of his work in the outcome of that work. What happens as a result of Christ's death? And when we see what happens, then we can know, well, we get an insight into the aim or the intent or the goal of his work. And so we talk about redemption accomplished by Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension, now his intercessory ministry, all redemption accomplished through Christ's work. But what is the outcome? Well, practically speaking, sinners come to hear the gospel. They hear the gospel, they believe the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, in obedience to that commission, the Great Commission, the sinners who are converted are gathered into local churches. They're baptized and they're taught all things whatsoever Christ commanded. Understanding that is why our brother Bannister can thank the Lord for another person publicly bearing testimony to saving faith by joining himself to the church. Because we see that is part of the reason whereby Christ died. The sinners who were saved would be gathered together in local, biblically organized churches. 
That's what Christ's intent was. That is still Christ's intent for those who come to faith in him. But to take it a step further, we see in the New Testament that these churches do not exist in isolation, but they exist in cooperation. They don't exist in independency, but interdependency. That's what we see happening in the New Testament. We see that as an outcome of Christ's work. So once again, we can say that an intent, the aim of Christ's death, was that churches would cooperate and fellowship together. In the gospel, that's what happens. That's what we see in the New Testament. Therefore, we can say with confidence, this is part of the purpose of Christ's atoning sacrifice. I hope, in part, that elevates in your mind the glory of a local church, and then in turn, the glory of churches cooperating together, working interdependently in what we term a presbytery. Put it this way, Christ died for gatherings such as this. Christ shed his blood on the cross, that events like this could happen, and his purpose for his glory and for the advance of the gospel. Christ died that we'd be here tonight. Our book of church order puts it this way. The unity and purity of the church are better expressed and maintained in the interdependency of a number of congregations freely associated under a scriptural form of government. And then it gives the opposite. Than in the isolated workings of independent congregations, accountable to no ecclesiastical body outside each congregation. And so our book of church order that, uh, again, our, our churches are grounded upon and work forward from speaks explicitly about the benefit of interdependency. It's what we term a presbytery, where churches and their church leaders will gather together and discuss and work for the benefit of the wider church body, not an individual church, but the churches as a collective whole. We often consider Acts 15 as the model, uh, the template for a presbytery, men gathering together, giving opinions, uh, entering into deliberations, and then coming out with a determination. Even James acting as the first moderator, summing things up and presenting the case, all that. We see all that in Acts chapter 15. But, dear brothers and sisters, let's be clear. The concept of Presbyterianism is assumed undergirding all the New Testament epistles. It's not just in Acts 15. It works its way through all of the epistles in ways that if we have time to think about and ears to hear, we will marvel again at what it is and the blessings of being a biblically organized Presbyterian. So let's think about that. I want to really draw your attention to three areas where this is shown in the New Testament epistles very briefly. First of all, there is the issue of concern. There's the sharing of concerns and cares. Now, you might think when you talk about the cares of the churches, you might think of the Apostle Paul, one of the burdens of ministry. He talks about, and all, after all of these other things, the care of the churches. That sense of his burden for the well-being of the churches that he is familiar with. Now, that is, of course, part of Paul's uniquely apostolic calling. He is an apostle. 
He is one who has the oversight, again, as an apostle of the New Testament churches. But we are to follow him as he follows Christ. And Christ, we see Christ's care for churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Not just one church, but multiple churches among whom Christ walks and cares. He sees them. He knows them. He speaks to their needs. And his burden is seen for their well-being as he calls some to repentance and others to endurance. We see Christ's care for the church. And so therefore, it is Christ-like to have care and concern for the well-being of the churches. You see, turn please to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to use Philippians just as, a, uh, as an initial text, and I'll show you some other uh, cross-references. But Philippians chapter 4, in the verse number 21, where again, Paul speaking here, of course, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Of course, here the apostle, he's in, he's in Rome, he's writing from that form of imprisonment, and he's bringing greetings, more than likely aware, aware of the circumstances in Rome. He's bringing greetings from the believers there and exchanging greetings from them to Philippi and then from Philippi back to Rome. I think that assumes and implies that there was awareness amongst the churches of the well-being of each other in their various church settings. And the church in Rome would want to hear news from Philippi. And those in Philippi, they would want to hear news from the church in Rome. You see, we see the same turn back now to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In the verse number 19, this perhaps is even more clear than it is in, in the Philippians epistle. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, and the verse number 19, The churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet you one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Asia saluting the church in Corinth, aware of that church, greeting that church, with a burden regarding the well-being of that church. Now, I grant it, this is assumed, it's implied, it's not explicit, but I think you can bring a very clear case that the New Testament churches were aware of each other, cared for each other, and had concern for each other's well-being. And so I encourage you. We have a lady in our Greenville church who does a tremendous service to our churches Every two months, she emails all of her ministers and asks them for prayer requests, which she then puts together into a prayer bulletin that comes out six times a year. You may know Mrs. Judy Brown does that work. That is a work that is unheralded in its value for our presbytery. Now, granted, Tuesday comes, email comes in, Friday, get the request of prayer by Friday. You go, not another thing to do in my week. <laughs> and then you get to the point where you realize nothing's changed. The same problems of the last few months, nothing much new in the ministry. And you're trying to think, well, how can I bring fresh prayer requests for the work? It's always the same. <laughs> Aren't we told to be importunate and pray for the same things again and again and again? 
And so I've got to shake myself on a, uh, I wish I could say it was a Thursday, it's normally a Friday or a Saturday, I've got to shake myself and say, I must make sure I get the prayer request for Malvern and Orlando because I believe this with all of my heart that as a Presbyterian church, it is vital that we care for each other. And to care for each other, we've got to know about each other. And so when you get those bulletins, please, Treasure them, read them, and use them in your prayer lives individually, as families, and as a church. That in an organized fashion, you pray for us all. And for those ministers here, please keep putting in your prayer requests. We value the Malvern very, very highly. That we get an update as to what is upon the burden of your heart as a church. There is a sharing of our concerns. Secondly, there's also a sharing of our confession. Now here I'm referring not to a confession in a papist sense of a confession booth. I'm referring to our confession of faith. Sharing in apostolic doctrine. You see, back in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, you will see that Paul has this, this burden, and he assumes it in this way. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an ensemble. Be followers together of me. Again, here, here's Paul asserting his apostolic authority. We, we couldn't say that, but Paul can say that he's been appointed of God to have this apostolic authority in the New Testament church. But he also says, don't just follow me, but mark those who also walk in the same manner. Following apostolic practice. Because there are those, when you go down through the verses, verse 18, there are those who are the, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are those who are anti-apostolic. They're, they're against apostolic doctrine. And so what Paul's assuming here is, he's assuming that there's a standard of doctrine and practice that is to be practiced in the churches. And so if you turn across uh, this time to Colossians chapter 4, go over a couple of pages in your Bible, Colossians chapter 4. And there's one of these just incidental little verses that come at the end of the epistles, and perhaps you're doing your Bible readings, and you, you get to the last five verses of a New Testament epistle, and you just run through the end of it. It's, it just seems so far removed from your life. But then you get to Colossians chapter 4, and it says this, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. I'm not getting involved in the debate and the controversy as to what that letter is. Is it the church to Ephesians more than likely or some other thing? That's not the point. The point is that as Paul wrote a letter to one church, it was to be shared with other churches. Again, the sense of the sharing of apostolic authority that does not just apply in Ephesus or Philippi, but applies across all the churches. You think of Paul's reference to no other custom in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's an agreement in apostolic doctrine and practice shared commonly among the churches. And that's one of the key functions of our presbytery. We share a detailed confession of faith. Lots of chapters, lots of words, lots of writing. Because we come together and we say, this is what is commonly held among us. We, we share these convictions. And you know, part of the duty of a presbytery is that we hold each other to account. Because we understand the importance of apostolic doctrine. 
Because what happens sometimes, sadly, in an independent church is a new pastor comes into town and begins to push the church in a different direction. And little by little, a charismatic leader and takes a church off on an angle away from what was agreed. And so that happens in our denomination. The members, the session of that church, they have a right to come to Presbytery and say, can you please look into this? We are concerned that our church is going off the reels. Because we understand the importance of apostolic shared doctrine. And presbytery helps to preserve the unity and the purity of our churches by interdependency, not by independency. It's a very important thing. And so you pray for our presbytery. Pray that, again, our men would be strong on the gospel that they would not swerve off to the right or the left, but be clear regarding apostolic doctrine and practice, holding firm to our confessional standards. A shared confession. Finally, very briefly, there is this issue of cooperation. There's concern, there's confession, there's then cooperation. And here I'm thinking about really sharing in kingdom gospel ministry. You see, a key function of our presbytery is the training of men sending men out, sending and supporting missionaries. Let me highlight three areas in which we share in our cooperation. We share ministerial resources. You go back to Philippians chapter 2, and you'll see in Philippians chapter 2, again, one of these tremendously insightful passages that deal with Paul's interaction with believers in real churches, in real time. Philippians 2, verse number 19, refers to the sending of Timothy. He hopes, he trusts to send Timothy to them shortly, that I may also be of good comfort when I know your state. He commends Timothy as a man who has a caring heart for the church, a man that will do them good. Oh, I have no doubt that Paul valued Timothy's company, but he's willing to send Timothy. You see, later on in the same chapter, he refers to how it was necessary to send to them Epaphroditus. Verse 25, his brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, likely a messenger, the minister of the church in Philippi, who for a season had shared their minister with the apostle Paul for his benefits. The letter deals with how he got sick and how they're concerned about that. It's all part of the history behind the work in Philippi. But you're seeing here again the sharing of ministerial resources. Our Greenville Church last Sunday evening said farewell to the Kelly family. Reverend John Kelly moving to Maine to pursue a work in Maine. I have no doubt the Greenville Church would very much have liked to hold on to the Kelly family. A help, an encouragement. Faithful in prayer, faithful in supporting the work of God. Not a good family. But there's an understanding we are sharing in ministerial resources. And at times, as time continues, your minister may well be called upon to do things in a presbytery level. And you may think to yourself, well, I don't want his time to be occupied in something that's not to do with the work here in Calgary. But there's a recognition we are a Presbyterian body and we, we share our ministerial resources. It's part of what it is for the benefit of the kingdom, for the good of the churches. There's a sharing of ministerial resources. There's also a sharing, of course, in the financial burden. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 15. 
And Paul says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. This concept of communicating is used in our authorized version uh, to discuss the fellowship that is in part financial, financial support. And Paul is here saying that at one point, the Philippian church was the only church supporting him at that time in his ministry. Uh, he is dealing with, he's, he's dealing with this in the context of being content, knowing how to be abased and how to abound. And he, he's highlighting the fact that the Philippian church supported him for a season, but ye only, verse 15. Do you know what that assumes? It would have been entirely appropriate for multiple churches to support the Apostle Paul at that time. It wasn't happening there, but it would have been entirely appropriate for churches to share the burden of supporting a man in the mission field, supporting him together in the work of God. We, this afternoon in Presbytery, just passed the budget for our mission board. The mission board budget is beyond the scope of any one church in our denomination. One church could not support the mission board. We think of a work in Liberia, in Mexico, Dominican, Czech Republic, Liberia, all these various places, Jamaica, all these places that are, that are really supported and encouraged by our churches. I think of what we contribute to every church. We contribute 10% of our income to the Presbytery levy. Some of that goes to missions. Some of that goes to the seminary. We're all sharing in this. We all have ownership of this. It's not just one church, but all of us together, we're keeping people on the field for the glory of Christ and the extent of the gospel. That's a wonderful thing. That we're part of this together. And so when we send gifts to support the work in Liberia, I can think to myself, well, so are Calgary, and so are Toronto, and so are Indianapolis. We're, we're sharing together. We're laboring together for the gospel. What a joyful privilege that is, be encouraged. Dear folks, your giving here in Calgary is absolutely essential for the furtherance of the gospel. It's part of being a Presbyterian. Thirdly, there is, of course, sharing the burden of prayer. It's implied in Philippians. You have it there, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, your fellowship in the gospel. Paul refers to the Philippians as those who are partakers with Paul in all of his ministry, partakers of his grace, verse number 7. And the stewardship that he had, they shared in that burden and that stewardship, and surely part of that is prayer. You know, this is one of the most obvious things when you stop and think about it. Paul did not rely upon one church to pray for him. Several times in the epistles, he asked for prayer for him and his associates. He asked it of the Ephesians, that a door of utterance would be opened for them. He asked of the Romans... Brethren, for the Lord's Christ's sake, strive together with me in your prayers. To the Thessalonians, brethren, pray for us. First and second epistle. There's this recognition. Paul recognizes the need for multiple churches to share the prayer burden. Because the burden's heavy. And we've got to make sure we share that together. There are so many needs, so many challenges. There are evil men, second Thessalonians, seeking to hinder the gospel. And Paul says, brethren, pray for us. It doesn't quite work in the time zones. 
But I was saying to our folks in, in Malvern, we're on Eastern time. We pray on a Wednesday night. Several of our churches in Eastern time pray on a Wednesday night. And I was saying, you know, when we're calling upon God for God to bless the work in Liberia, they're doing the same in Greenville. Or they're doing the same in Winston-Salem. Or they're doing the same in Indianapolis. Or we're, 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 we're praying together. And whilst we're remotely separated in our churches, there's a joining together. We're, we're besieging the throne of grace for His mercy. And we're doing it together. Christ died for that. He shed His blood for such seasons of prayer that we'd gather together as churches and pray for each other and pray for the wider work. We are those who gladly follow the apostolic model. We follow the teaching of the New Testament and we share in these things for the glory of Christ because we recognize this is what the gospel does. You see, when it comes to the end of the age and we're all swept up to glory and we gather around the throne, our eyes are all shared in the same direction towards Christ, the Lamb that was slain, and we praise and worship. We sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And we praise God together. It doesn't start in heaven. It starts on earth. When those who are saved by grace join a local church. And that local church is part of an interdependency of churches. It's one of the reasons Christ died. So let's continue and press on. And may God bless our work for his name's sake. Thanks, brother.